Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Hey, everybody. I'm going to begin by reading from the scriptures this morning. Uh, we're starting in Romans 11:33 and continuing to chapter 12, verse 2. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Today we are in week three of this series called The Stories We Will Tell, talking about what God can do in our lives when we live them fully devoted to him the way they did in the early church. And this morning, I want to preach about our, our pillar of, of passionate worship and prayer. So would you guys pray with me now? Father God, we thank you for your word. It is good. It encourages. It admonishes. It, it teaches us the way of life. Lord, I, I'm flawed. I'm a sinner. I, I do not understand everything. I don't understand everything about what I'm gonna be talking about today, but, but your word is true. Lord, would you speak through me? And God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that we can live in you because of what he did for us on the cross. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So when I was 19, I had just finished my associate's degree in music. And at this point, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had no prospects. I I really didn't have much of a vision for my life, but the one thing I did know was that I wanted people to know me. I wanted to be the next John Mayer. I wanted people to know my name, to to know me. And some of you are thinking, who's John Mayer? (laughs) But I was definitely, most certainly, well on my way to getting there See, I was living with my parents at the time, and that's a joke, (laughs) because they were getting really, really tired of me doing nothing, and uh, my dad comes to me one day, and uh, he asks me, he says, Josh, what do you want to do with your life? It's a great dad question. Every kid wants to hear that question, don't they? What do you want to do with your life? I'm like, I don't know, dad. I just want people to know me. It's like, okay, um, who do you want to know you? 
And I said, everyone. And he said, okay, there are 7 billion people in this world. How many of those do you want to know you? I said, all of them. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, well, then you'd have to be Hitler. So I said, who's Hitler? <laughs> no, I did not say that. No, but, but the wisdom of his response shocked me. It, it stuck with me. It, it effectively made me think hard about what or who I was living my life for. And, and to this day, I think about that conversation, that, that quick witted response. If you know my dad, that's, that's my dad. And I'm reminded that I do not want to be Hitler. So if you ask me that today, what do I want to do with my life, I would not answer it the same way. Maybe there's a small part of my flesh, a part of my pride that wants to answer it that same way. But I think I know better than that by now. My answer to that question today is, I want to live my life for Jesus. I don't want to be known by people I want people to know Jesus. And I want to offer up my life as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing in his sight. So when we look back at, at Romans eleven thirty three and 36, this is how Paul concludes the first 11 chapters of his letter to the, to the Roman church. These 11 chapters are an incredibly thorough explanation of the gospel. The gospel, which is the good news of the grace and mercy of God. That we were dead in our transgressions and sin, but God, because of his great love for us, sent his son to die in our place, even while we were still sinners, so that we would be made alive in him. We've been justified through our faith in him and reconciled to God because of the sacrifice Christ made for us. So in the first 11 chapters of Romans, this is what Paul is laying out. He, he writes this epic explanation of the grace and mercy of God despite our sin. And then he ends it. He, he wraps it up with what we call a doxology. And this is a declaration of praise. It is an emotionally charged response to the incredible work of the gospel. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. See, Paul can't, help but give praise to God for the incredible work of the gospel. That God would love a sinner like you and me so deeply that he would send his one and only son to die in our place. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And so, so then Paul follows this up with the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. And this is really what I'd like to focus on today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy. And this is the mercy he's been talking about in the first 11 chapters. In view of his mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now what if I told you that worship is not the 20 minutes that we sing on Sunday mornings? What if I told you that worship is not music, it's not songs? So I think we've been, we've been guilty of improper, maybe just imp, uh, misplaced use of the word worship in church culture. Worship has become a genre of music. It's become just a block of time in our Sunday services. And because of that, I believe our understanding of really what worship is has been diminished in our lives. But hear me out here. Those things are a part of worship. The songs we sing on Sunday mornings are a part of worship. The particular genre of music that has a particular sound and particular lyrics that are very conducive to a corporate church gathering is a part of worship. But these things have become so synonymous and all-encompassing with that term worship that I believe we've kind of lost the meaning of worship in our lives as followers of Christ. So I'm here to just point out to share with you what the Bible says about worship. And when we look at Romans 12 verse 1, we see that worship is how we respond to the gospel. It's how we respond to the mercy of God in our lives. And believe it or not, we don't just do that by singing. Singing is good. Music is good. There's something just divine and transcendent about music that helps to cut through the proverbial noise of our lives and land us squarely in the presence of God. But worship is not just music. Music is certainly an aid to worship. But the true and proper worship that Paul is talking about here in Romans is not music. So what is? Well, check this out. In my study of this passage, I went to the Greek word that translates to the word worship. And it's the Greek word latreia. It occurs five times in scripture in the New Testament, and it's a word that more literally means service. It means service to God. Now, interestingly, this might be where we get our term worship service from. Like right now, we call this gathering a worship service. So really, we're just kind of being redundant with it. Like we're basically calling this a worship worship or a service service. So Dylan, we might want to change that. I don't know if we... It's not a big deal, it's fine, really. Now that word Greek, that Greek word latreia, it also refers to the services or the ministry performed by the Levitical priests in the Old Testament tabernacle. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter nine for the context here. Now the first covenant, the first covenant being the law, which included the Ten Commandments that Moses received from God three months after the Israelites left captivity in Egypt. But the the first covenant had regulations for worship. There's that word, latreia. And also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. 
In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. And there again is that word, latreia, ministry. So back in Romans, when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship, he's using language that points back to first covenant or old covenant tabernacle worship. But it is now in a new covenant context. And this new covenant is what he just spent the first 11 chapters of Romans explaining. It's the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill that old covenant. So to best understand how Jesus fulfills the old covenant, thereby establishing a new covenant, let's continue to look here at Hebrews 9. So only the high priest entered the inner room. This is of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Now listen to this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So you might be seeing a parallel here between Romans 12 and Hebrews 9. In Romans 12, 1, Paul is saying, because of the work of Jesus on the cross and because of God's mercy towards us, that rather than performing the offerings and services of old covenant tabernacle worship, that our true and proper worship, our service to God is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, let's take a look at Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage of scripture. This is Romans 12.1 from the Message Bible. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now, I love this because to offer our bodies as living sacrifices means giving every moment of our lives over to God. 
not just the big moments, but the everyday, mundane, sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around moments, each one lived in complete surrender to God. You might know the story of, of Brother Lawrence. Pastor Brian has talked about him many times over the years. He, his story can be found in a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. He was a French monk. He lived a very modest life, but he understood this concept of devotion and service to God through everyday, ordinary life. He just did life with God. Whatever he did, he did it in worship, in service to God. If he was washing dishes, that was service to God. Buying groceries was service to God. Anything he did and everywhere he went, he put God as the focus of his devotion and purpose. And you know, this is exactly what we mean when we say around here, we are imperfect people doing life with a perfect God. Just like Brother Lawrence and just like we read about in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Everything you do is for the worship, for the service of God. What Paul is saying in Romans 12 is to live your life fully devoted to God. Offer your everyday, ordinary life to him in response to his mercy, in response to the gospel. And then things get even better in verse two. Paul says, verse one, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, here is what's amazing about the life of a believer. When we offer our lives in service to God, our minds are renewed and we are transformed. And that in turn gives us clarity on what God wants us to do with our lives, what his will is, what he is calling us to. And here's the incredible thing about that. This is a cyclical process. When we offer our lives in worship, in service to God, our minds are renewed. We're given clarity on the will of God for our lives. And that leads us to go, wow, God has a perfect plan for my life. His will is good and he is good. And so I want to further offer my life in worship and in service to him. And then your mind is renewed. You're walking in God's will. And the clarity and freedom of that knowledge leads you to continually, gladly offer your life in service to his will. And it keeps going round and round. That is doing life with God. I think that's amazing. It's amazing to live life that way. And it's amazing when scripture lines up with real life because scripture is real life. See, three years ago, I entered a season of really kind of wrestling with and, and seeking God's will for my life. I started just to deeply question my purpose, what God was calling me to. And this wrestling led me to scriptures like 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Colossians 3, 23 and 24, and Proverbs 16, 3, which says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Scriptures like these kept coming up again and again in, in my search for purpose and calling. So I kept asking God, like, what do you want me to do? Just tell me, I'll do it. And he kept bringing me back to these same scriptures in response. And it finally hit me that what God was calling me to was always right there in front of me. My calling is not to something. My calling is to someone. My calling is to the one. So it doesn't matter what I do in my life. My calling is to the Lord and whatever I do, I do it for him. And that is my purpose. He is my purpose. And that is me offering myself as a living sacrifice in worship and in service to him. What's incredible is when I finally stepped into this calling to the Lord, him as my purpose, it was then that I was able to embrace the passions deep inside me that were placed there by the creator of the world. And that passion is to create, to write songs, to bring hope to the hopeless by sharing the truth of who God is and what he's done. As you saw, Grace and I have been called to step out in faith as, as missionaries, to share the good news of the gospel and of the mercies of God through music. And what we've realized through this process of, of wrestling with this calling, going before the Lord, seeking his will, and ultimately stepping out in faith, not knowing the outcome, is that we have been offering our lives as living sacrifices to him. And the incredible thing about this is that our desire and commitment to, to do that, to just go through that process and to wrestle with it, has led to an even greater clarity that this is what God is calling us to do. We've experienced the truth and the reality of Romans 12, one and two, that this is God's will. So here's what I'm, I'm learning. When we seek to live out the scriptures, Romans 12, one and two, Proverbs 16, three, Colossians 3, 24, many, many others like them. When we seek to live them out, we are offering ourselves to the Lord in worship and service to him. But here's what I'm learning about living a life of worship. So first of all, worship is a lifestyle. You don't offer your body as a living sacrifice one time and then you're done. I know I'm gonna be learning this for the rest of my life. Worship is, is process, worship takes time. It's a daily pursuit of surrender, of devotion, of learning and failing but of continual commitment to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So settle in, because this is how we're called to live. These are the scriptures. This is Romans 12, one and two. Every moment of every day has to be about worship, about devotion to God and service to him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all your heart for the Lord. Make it a lifestyle. I'm also learning that worship is 
sacrifice. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you're gonna have to give some things up. You know the number one thing worship takes from me? It takes comfort. I love my comforts. I love my security. I love to plan for the future. But a life of service to God does not always guarantee comfort. In fact, I believe a life of worship is oftentimes uncomfortable. But I have experienced and I have learned that incredible things happen when you get uncomfortable. For a long time, I chose comfort. But comfort causes us to rely on ourselves. Discomfort requires us to rely on God to be our comfort. So make a sacrifice. And finally, I'm learning that worship takes wild faith. Hebrews 11, one through two says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. See, Noah had wild faith when he built a boat simply because God told him to. Abraham had wild faith when he left his homeland for the land God had promised him. When he believed God would give him a son, even in his old age, and when he went to sacrifice that very son on the altar, knowing, believing, trusting that God would provide an alternative. Moses had wild faith when he went before Pharaoh to free the Israelites from captivity. He had wild faith when God told him to raise his staffs to part the seas so that the Israelites could escape Pharaoh's pursuing army. See, if we're going about our business in service to God, he's gonna call us to do some crazy things. He's gonna call you to step out of the boat and expect you to trust that he'll make you walk on water. He's gonna call you to lift up your staff so that he can part some seas. Living a life as a living sacrifice means you're gonna have to do some questionable things. Not bad, questionable things. But just things that make people go, huh? Is he really doing that? Is he okay? Does he, did he factor in? But who are you trying to please? The one who created you and is calling you? Are you trying to please people? Worship is the riskiest thing you'll ever do but it's also the safest thing you'll ever do because the Lord himself will go before you and will be with you. And he has promised to never leave you or forsake you. That's good truth. Worship takes wild faith. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now this cloud of witnesses are those referred to in the previous chapter. They're people from the Old Testament we can read about, like Noah and Abraham and Moses, who demonstrated what commendable faith in God looks like. But it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, part of us gathering together on a Sunday morning is for us to, to recenter, to refocus our attention and our faith on God. But we should not wait for Sunday morning to invite God to be with us. We should not wait for this one hour a week to push the reset button on our faith and then walk out of these doors and become so spiritually drained that when next Sunday comes around, we're empty again. There are many things taking our attention off of Jesus. But rather than allowing them to distract us and to drain us, why don't we invite Jesus into those things? Why don't we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? See, it's very, very easy to give up when we're trying to do things on our own. But as we seek to be more like Jesus, as we invite him into each and every moment, scripture says, scripture promises that we will not grow weary, we will not lose heart. And so my friends, in response to the gospel, in response to the creator of the world, saving you from death, offer your life fully to the Lord. Be fully devoted to him. Offer yourself to him in complete devotion. Step out into the unknown and, and rest in him. This is your true and proper worship. So I wanna close here in prayer, but rather than me praying, I want us all to pray Paul's doxology from Romans chapter 11. This is how I'd like for us to end. So would you guys pray this with me? together. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever, amen, amen. Hey, listen, if you are in need of prayer this morning, please come up to the front. We've got some prayer partners that would love to pray with you, so come share your needs with them, uh, pray with them. And uh, if you'd like to know more about how you can support this mission that Grace and I are stepping into, come talk to us over, uh, out at the Red Tent. We would love to hear from you. Otherwise, y'all have a wonderful week. Do life with God this week. Love you guys.